What's up, everybody? Welcome to Celluloid Fever Dreams, a weekly walk through cinematic history where we find the overlooked and underappreciated films and tell you whether or not they're worth your time. As always, I'm your host, Wyndham Jennings. This is episode 32 and part 5 of our Dollar Movie Find series. This week's movie is from 2014 and it's an Australian black comedy crime caper called Kill Me Three Times. Written by James McFarland. Uh, in fact, this is, from what I can tell, the only film he's ever written, which uh, part of me considers to be a shame. Uh, directed by Criv Stenders. His most recent film is uh, Slim and I, but he's also directed The Illustrated Family Doctor, Boxing Day, and The Red Dog films. The film's tagline is, Once is Never Enough. Not the biggest fan of that one. I feel like I kind of phoned that one in. The film stars uh, Simon Pegg, Elisa Braga, and Teresa Palmer. Our uh, elevator pitch for the plot can be summed up as, in a small town on the Australian coast, a hitman finds out that he's not the only one gunning for his target. I I gotta say, I'm kind of a sucker for these kind of films. I mean, who doesn't like a good uh, crime movie? Who doesn't like uh, a good heist movie? Well, yeah, I guess this is a heist movie. You got people trying to pull off an insurance scam and uh, on top of that somebody else stealing money from a bar you know so i i love a good crime movie i especially love like the british crime movies uh i don't think i've really seen a whole lot from australia but this kind of has that flavor to it and on top of that it's got sort of the uh the pulp fiction kind of uh framework to it which i also love i love movies that sort of play with uh the way a story's told either the technique or the order in which events unfold uh I'm trying to think of, a, of of some other ones like this. One I seen recently that I think really did this well. Another heist film that uh, played with the order the story is told, uh, Shimmer Lake, which is available on Netflix, and stars Rain Wilson, who was uh, who we talked about in Permanent a couple of weeks ago. But uh, it does that. It starts out at the end of the heist when there's you know just the the one person getting away with the money, and it builds the story backwards from there. Uh, until the movie ends with the heist being pulled off, and that's when all the pieces finally fall into place. Uh, it's another one. I, I, I'm probably going to wind up talking about it eventually, but uh, until then, it's another one you can go and watch. The uh, The film follows Charlie Wolf, played by Simon Pegg, a hitman, with an unbelievably cheery ringtone on his phone. And it's, I've, it's interesting to see Pegg cast as the villain. Uh, in fact, from what I was able to find out, that's one of the things that attracted him to the film was he, he got to sort of play against his type in this movie. And the director himself has said that when they were uh, casting the film, he wanted someone like Peg. He, he wanted Peg, uh, but he, if he couldn't get Peg, he wanted a comedian. He wanted somebody you didn't usually see in these kind of roles because he thought the script demanded that. And he, he even said that uh, until Peg was attached to it, the script itself was much darker in tone. But uh, once they got... Simon Pegg on board, they were able to push some of the more uh, comedic elements of it, make the story a little, uh, I, I think even he, he says it, it exists within its own little world. You know, they didn't really worry a whole lot about making uh, making it realistic or, or dark or, uh, you know, the way a lot of these films kind of turn out to be. And I think that works to its advantage, especially if you got Simon Pegg playing the villain in the piece. But, 
you know, and that's not to say there's not some dark uh, moments in the film because uh, there are, but they're more dark uh, comedy moments. They're not you know dark bleak moments like in uh, you know like High Rise or you know some other films. But uh, Peg's called in to kill Alice, played by uh, Elisa Braga. And once he starts following her and trying to find the you know right time and place to kill her, he quickly finds out that she's the target of someone else in the town, the uh, local dentist and his wife, who are going to fake the wife's death to cash in a huge insurance policy for a scam to pay off the husband's incredibly large gambling debts. So the uh, first part of the story is basically a uh, peg finding out that his target is, you know, he, all he has to do is watch and uh, follow the dentist and his wife and make sure that they kill off Alice and then go and collect his paycheck. So that's the uh, the first story, which is called uh, Kill Me One Time, the first segment of the film. And uh, we get to see that and get to see the, uh, the relationship between the dentist and his wife. Uh, get to see it, it's really some of the funnier parts of the film as they have no idea of what they're doing uh, there's one sequence where Alice they've knocked her out and she's in the trunk of the car and then the uh, the husband's driving and gets a flat so he has to pull into a gas station to change the tire and he's trying to get the spare out of the trunk while moving around Alice's unconscious body to get to the, the spare without alerting anyone else at the gas station that he's got an unconscious woman in the trunk of his car now I, I found it interesting uh, they uh, kill Alice by putting her in a car and setting the car on fire and then letting it go off a cliff where it explodes and burns. And, of course, uh, they switched her dental records, and she's wearing the appropriate jewelry, so she'll be identified as the wife named Lucy. But uh, as the car goes off the cliff and there's a wide shot of it going down the hill in flames and exploding, it's CGI. And according to the director, uh, when they started planning the film out, that uh, the site they chose, the permits they would need, the uh, cleanup, the uh, you know all of that, the, the price of the car, and it, it turned out the site that he wanted to use to show the wreck was an Aboriginal sacred site, so he'd have to get permission from them as well. He said all of that uh, mounted up to way more than what they needed in their budget, so the car crash itself and the uh, flaming wreckage you see at the bottom of the of the uh, cliff in different parts of the movie is all CGI because it actually came out to be cheaper than just setting a car on fire and throwing it off a cliff. Uh, yeah, which just fascinates me that we've reached a point that it's just cheaper to do it uh, in CGI. And the CGI is pretty good. There's a couple of, uh, couple of close-up shots on the car as it's going over the edge of the road and uh, down the cliff that you can kind of tell the flames aren't real, uh, but it happens so quick. And the uh, actual shots of it going... You know, in you know, off the cliff and down are wide shots, and you see most of what you see is flame. Uh, and I couldn't tell until you know I found that out that yeah they didn't just set a car on fire and throw it off a cliff. Uh, Alice is played by, and I wasn't pronouncing this right. This is the way they pronounced it in the promotional materials and the interviews I, I uh, looked at uh, researching the film is Elisa Braga. Uh, her first role was actually in the yogurt commercial when she was a kid. She's a Brazilian actress. Uh, her breakthrough role was in City of God in 2002. She's also made appearances in I Am Legend, uh, Repo Men, uh, Predators. Uh, most recently, she's been seen in the uh, in the uh, Fox film The New Mutants and uh, the television series Queen of the South, which I think I just wrapped up. Series finale, finale maybe earlier this year, late last year. Uh, Lucy 
who is the uh, receptionist at the dentist's office and also married to the dentist, is played by Teresa Palmer, an Australian actress. Her first uh, role was Wolf Creek, the uh, horror, Australian horror movie. She's also had appearances in The Grudge 2, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, uh, I Am Number 4. Uh, most recently, she's been in uh, the uh, AMC series, A Discovery of Witches. Uh, she's also in Warm Bodies, the zombie rom-com, the zom-rom-com, I think is how they, uh, how they pitched it when it, it came out. Uh, her husband, Nathan, is played by Sullivan Stapleton. And it, this is kind of a, a different role for him. Uh, from what I can tell, he does a whole lot of action-oriented, tough guy kind of roles. And here he's sort of a bumbling kind of uh, uh, you know, screw-up. I was trying to think of a polite way to polite way to say it so I can still keep a PG rating for this. But yeah, he he's a very much a put upon husband as Lucy's constantly calling out everything that he does wrong. Uh, Sullivan's first role was in the TV movie Baby Bath Massacre, and I have been unable to find out anything about this movie other than the title. Just from the title alone, I want to see this. I mean, what in the world is Baby Bath Massacre? Uh, he's also appeared in the films Three Hundred, Rise of an Empire. Uh, Animal Kingdom, Gangster Squad. Uh, he's for several seasons been on the television show Blind Spot, uh, and I think he really does well with the character of of Nathan. You know, especially given his his background in such action heavy fare. Uh, you know, Nathan just constantly seems to be just sort of stuck. I hate even calling it indecisive because you can sort of tell, especially in the scenes he does with Teresa Palmer and Lucy in their relationship, that it's not that he's stupid. It's just that he is he gets sort of locked into what can he does what can he do that's not going to get Lucy to yell at him because he chose to do this instead of something else. Of course, there are scenes in the movie where you realize he's he's probably not uh, that bright considering he's a dentist, and the training they have to go into it is he's trying to remember a four digit code in one scene of the film, and he finally snaps his fingers and goes, "Oh, it's Beethoven." And Lucy's like, what do you mean it's Beethoven? And he says, 1812 Overture. That's how I remember what the code is. And, and of course, Lucy, in her best uh, sarcastic tone, just you know, gives him an evil look and goes, 1812 Overtures, Tchaikovsky, you idiot. We uh, find out that Alice and Lucy are actually sister... Uh, yeah, Alice is actually Lucy's sister-in-law. Uh, Alice is married to Jack, and together they own the local bar. Or, I found this out, it's called... Uh, uh, apparently because some weird old Australian law, uh, their bar is actually called a hotel. They have to offer beds for some of the drunken patrons to stay uh, overnight if they can't drive. But Jack's played by uh, Callan Mulvey. His first role was in the, uh, I think his TV series, Heartbreak High. He also had appearances on the Beastmaster TV show. He's, uh, he's also another uh, heavy action uh, star. He's been in Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, he also appeared in Three Hundred Rise of an Empire alongside of uh, Sullivan Stapleton. He's been in Captain America: The Winter Soldier, uh, Batman vs Superman. Uh, recently in the uh, World War Two uh, horror film Shadow in the Cloud with uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. Uh, the television series Luminaries. Uh, at the time of this recording, uh, July two thousand twenty-one, he actually has a film coming out. Uh, in the next few months with Megan Fox called Till Death. I, I've seen the trailer for it. It actually looks like a pretty decent action film. 
Uh, Jack and Alice are not happy. Uh, Jack doesn't really seem to do a whole lot to help run the bar. Uh, every time you see him, he's just sitting in the office in the back drinking. And no reason's really given for it. You, I don't know if he's... Like in in the film, uh, there is no reason uh, given for him to just be back there and not care about the bar. Uh, you can tell that him and uh, Alice have a very strained relationship, and he keeps saying that he'd rather see her dead than uh, with someone else. Uh, doing a little research in the original script, his whole attitude of drinking himself to death and not being not caring about anything and and saying he'd rather see her dead is because he had terminal cancer. The uh, director said that in the, uh, you know, when they did the test screenings for the film, people came, came became very sympathetic towards him uh, instead of Alice because they, they felt like he had a motivation for being a jackass to her and to everyone around him and to just sit back there and drink. He said, so we actually had to go back in and re-edit the film to take out any mentions of him having cancer so that we could get people to realize, you know, get people to sympathize more with his wife uh, than with him. Yeah, but Alice herself isn't uh, squeaky clean. She's having an affair with the local uh, gas station owner, Dylan, played by one of the Hemsworth brothers, uh, Luke, this time. His first role was in The Saddle Club. Uh, he's made a couple of small appearances in the Thor films. Uh, I, if I remember right, he was Thor in uh, Ragnarok. He, he was the Thor in the play with uh, Matt Damon at the beginning of uh, Ragnarok, if I remember right. Uh, he's also had appearances in The Osiris Child, uh, The Westworld Show, Young Rock, The Young Rock Show. Uh, oh, Lord, I, I, was, I read that. I'm like, what is Young Rock? I, I didn't write down that, oh, yeah, it's the show on NBC about uh, Dwayne Johnson's childhood. Took me a second. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's been, in, been in Young Rock. He's also uh, in the uh, thriller with Maggie Q, uh, The Death of Me. Yeah, all of this sort of moves together, and, uh, you know, this is the uh, Kill Me Two Times. This is the middle story. Follows these characters as we uh, find out that Alice is going to leave Jack. Uh, Her and Dylan are going to run away, and he hadn't been able to sell his gas station, so they don't have any money, so she just steals all the money uh, out of the bar and takes off with it. And, of course, uh, Kill Me Three Times, which is the final little little vignette mainly focuses on uh, Lucy and Nathan and we get to see everything from the you know and I kind of like this we every time they start a new story we get to see uh, a couple of scenes from the previous story but told from the point of view of the characters we're following this time and uh, Lucy and Nathan we get to see a little bit more about how you know about the trouble that they're in about uh, you know why they chose Alice about how Lucy doesn't like Alice uh, things like that. And we're introduced to the final character out of the uh, cast, who is uh, Bruce, played by Brian Brown. Uh, his first first uh, film role was all the way back in 1975 in the detective, detective film Scobie Malone. Uh, and he has been in a little bit of everything. He's, he's pretty much an acting legend. He's been in uh, A Town Like Alice, Thornbirds, uh, FX... He's in the Tom Cruise film uh, Cocktail. He was the uh, the other bartender, the one that taught Cruise little tricks and everything. And the Nicole Kidman film Australia. Uh, he plays Bruce, the uh, local law enforcement officer, and uh, well, the the very corrupt local law enforcement officer. He's uh, shaking down 
Jack and Alice for a case of whiskey. Uh, he goes by uh, Nathan and Lucy's uh, dentist office in order to remind them that uh, he owes, you know, Nathan owes $250,000. And he goes, oh, and I'm getting a cut because I, I told him that I'd be the one to make sure you paid it. So let's just make this an even 300 you owe me and you got a week to get it to me. And, uh, yeah, he, he, I like it because he's menacing, but he's not, uh, you know, he's not physical about it. There's no waving of guns. There's no, uh, you know, I think there's one point where he does pin, uh, Nathan against the wall for a second, but he, you know, it's all just quiet menace and the tone of his voice and, uh, things like that. You know, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about what I do like about the film, uh, the, uh, even the director mentioned this, it kind of gives off an 80s feel. I mean, it's a modern movie. They have cell phones, computers, things like that. Uh, but just the tone of it, and I, I think part of it is for a crime movie, for a movie filled with uh, you know, a hitman and with people doing uh, insurance fraud and, and killing off relatives, etc., you know, all, with all these dark acts going on, it is a very sunny film full of bright colors. Uh, Simon Pegg is the darkest thing in the movie both uh well i don't know if i'll say uh, character wise but he, he's you know jet black hair uh black mustache you know solid black suit and everyone around him is just sunny beaches and uh you know bright colored buildings and everybody's dressed in in bright clothes and so it's a a nice contrast i think it's one of the things i like about the movie is is it's not a lot of you know, dark alleyways and, and uh, you know, low-lit bars and things like that. Everything's just so, yeah, just so uh, sunny and open, and it just sort of doesn't match the story that's going on, but that's one of the things I do like about it. Uh, the director also talked about some of his influences, which I've seen, yeah, I've read a couple of reviews, and, and, and uh, you know, some of the things people didn't like the directors actually said there are some of the things he went for you know he said he was sort of influenced by things like uh like pulp fiction uh he was influenced by uh, you know the coen brothers type of films you know he said he watched a lot of when he when he was uh prepping the movie he sat back and he he sort of watched some of the some films he liked and tried to match some of the things they did and, and he thought they did right the uh, story structure itself, actually, he, he's, uh, he mentioned that they did break it up a little because it was a little more straightforward uh, when they first put it together. But once once they started looking at Simon Pegg's scenes, they realized he, he was kind of the thread that held it all together, and that's what made them sort of mess around a little with the timeline and break it up a little more into uh, three separate stories that all merged together to tell a big story. And it's especially amazing how much Peg is in the movie when you find out that he only had a two-week window to go to Australia and film this before he had to be back for uh, other projects. So, so the uh, you know the directors mentioned they actually had to film the end of the movie and a lot of the big action scenes. I mean, there's not a lot of big action scenes in the film, but but like the, the film climax and, and some of the and the you know big action scene uh, on the first day basically in order to make sure they got it and and uh you know peg could get out of there and they could finish the film uh on time uh in fact peg was the one you know, simon peg was the one who fought for the film to end the way that it did 
uh, you know, they when they first showed it to the studio and the distributors, they weren't too happy with the, the way the film ended. And, uh, you know, they were talking about, you know, how much money it would take to reshoot and what could they do to fix it. And uh, Simon Pegg basically told them that the only reason he did the film was because he liked the ending of the film the way it was. And so he's the, the big reason that, that uh, the story didn't get changed that much uh, before it got distributed. And Peg, Simon Pegg, even uh, according to some of my research, had a huge influence on the way the character, uh, not only, uh, you know, not only the personality of the character, because the director said with the, the cast he had, uh, he did allow them to improv through a few scenes and, and uh, you know, basically put in the scene that he thought or the lines he thought was better. But, uh, yeah, Simon Pegg, when he was talking to the director about the character, He's like, yeah, I just kind of see him with, like, you know, dark hair, with, like, this mustache, maybe a tattoo on his neck, dressed all in black. And, and the director's like, yeah, everything he pitched at me, I, I thought, yeah, yeah, that's it. Let's just go with that. Yeah, the uh, the sunny brightness of the film is also a bit of a, a shock when you find out uh, that how much rain they had to fight in order to get some of these scenes done. Uh, you know, according to uh, what I was able to find out, it rained so much during production that they had to take advantage of every break in the clouds and every uh every bit of sunshine they could get in order to in order to uh, get the movie done on time uh, and and on top of that there was a couple of times um the director talked about in one of the behind the scenes things they did a couple of really uh key scenes in a quarry and he said we actually had to sink a car into the water of the quarry uh, he said, and it turns out that the water was was uh, not fit for people to go into it. Apparently, it had E. coli and uh, some other bacterial uh, things inside of it, and it wasn't declared fit. He said, so we had to sink a car into it, and then we had to figure out a way to get the car out. And uh, then and there's one scene where the car, when they first put it in, floats. And so, you know, Lucy and, and Nathan are trying to figure out what to do, and Nathan's like, well, I can, I'll, you know, she's like, get dive in and do something, do something. And he gets down to the edge of the water and he just puts a toe in. And he's like, nope, it's cold, it's cold. And then the car starts to sink. But, uh, you know, the, the actor talks about that there was so much wrong with the water in the quarry. He said, even though I did, all I did was dip my toes in, he said, I immediately had to, after they yelled cut, get my entire foot basically disinfected because of how much the water was contaminated in that quarry. <laughs> Uh, Nathan also improved a scene. Uh, Alice almost escapes from him and Lucy, and uh, she hits him with a, a crowbar she finds in the back of the car. Uh, oh, sorry, she hits him with a lug nut wrench she finds in the back of the car, and he's laying there in the road, and he can't get up and chase her. And uh, Lucy gets in the car to chase her, and backs up so that she can get room, and just hear a whomp, and and you see Nathan just laying there, and she's hit him with the bumper. And uh, the director talks about it in the in the behind the scenes. He says that was still completely improv. He says we decided he decided to try it, and he said uh, backed up and he smacked the bumper so she'd know to stop. And then she peeled out, and he said we added a louder thump in post production. But uh, it's actually one of my favorite little moments, just showing how how bad Nathan has it and how little Lucy even thinks of him at that point. You know, and and I don't have mentioned how bright the film is. I do love. Uh, I love some of the shots in the movie, the settings of it, and and uh, they talk about they bounced around uh, 
several different places in Australia and sort of, sort of, uh, you know, put them together to make you think they's all close together. But I think some of them, uh, I think in one of the driving sequences, he actually talks about where they start at and where they end at is literally five hours away up the coast. But the way they've edited it and the, you know, this little fictional town that they've created for the movie, he's it's just the other side of town. But uh, the, the cinematography, there are some beautiful shots in this movie of uh, the Australian uh, countryside and the coastline uh, and some really great shots. There was uh, one, uh, especially Nathan and Lucy are at a uh, beach house. She's in hiding. And it's just this beautiful aerial shot. And he's like, yeah, if we were making this movie literally two years later, that would have been a drone shot. He goes, well, no, that's a crane. And just some of them is amazing. You know, it's amazing. Uh, kind of makes me want to go there. Even, even if everybody lives down there is kind of crazy and, and uh, trying to kill each other. The, uh, you know, the cinematography on the film is, is just amazing to me. And the story itself, I don't know. I, I've seen some people online saying that it's derivative, but I, I liked it. I mean, like I said, it's a dark comedy. Uh, the heist elements of it. Uh, I'm kind of like I said, I'm kind of a sucker for this broken stru- story structure anyway. But I do feel like it, it's a fun movie to watch. What, seeing how all the different pieces slot in together, because every story you find out something new that makes something that happened earlier in the film make sense. Uh, you know the, the acting actors in it. I know I've said this for a lot of films, but yeah, it's a really good cast. Uh, like I said, especially Nathan, especially, uh, what was his name? I know I wrote it down. Sullivan, sorry. I had a brain fart for a second. I was like, what is Nathan's actor's name? Uh, yeah, Sullivan uh, Stapleton is Nathan. I just love him, especially because he's done so much action stuff to, to pull off the comedy that he does to make this, you know, tall, broad-shouldered guy into this just sort of clueless, kind of wimpy uh, person. And, and especially the chemistry between him and Teresa Palmer's Lucy is just uh, amazing. It, it's, I think the chemistry between the two of them is, is uh, my favorite relationship in the film. And it's also one of those films that, uh, and I guess this is what you'd expect out of the, the genre, but it is one that just right up until the final uh, 10 minutes or so, they're still throwing a twist at you that just changes everything that happened before. Uh, and I didn't see it coming. I honestly didn't. I, I, I went in figuring something completely different than, than what actually happened uh, in the film. Yeah, and, and I don't want to spoil it for you. I'm not going to tell you. But yeah, it, at the end of the day, uh, well, let's go ahead and do it. At the end of the day, let's ask the most important question we can ask of any movie. Was it entertaining? And yeah, I, I loved this movie. I know it's got low ratings all over the place. But no, I I did. I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I love... I know Simon Pegg, who, who I just realized I hadn't even listed out some of the films that he's done, but do I really need to? All right, I'll do it right here at the end. Uh, who you know from... His first role was Six Pairs of Pants back in 95. But he's been in so much stuff. He's been in Space, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World in, World's End, or otherwise known as the Cornetto Trilogy. Uh star trek mission impossible uh paul but yeah I, I like this i like it because you don't see him cast as the bad guy very often 
uh, I honestly, off the top of my head, cannot think of another movie where he plays the bad guy. I also tend to like some of his more, I don't know, lesser-known films. You know, like Run, Fat Boy, Run. Um, oh, Lord, what was the other one? Is it an Amazing Fear of Everything? Uh, Burke and Hare, the film he did with uh, um, with Andy Serkis and uh, Isla Fisher. You know, I like the... the uh, like I said, I, I, I love the ones he does like that. The ones that are a little off the uh, beaten path a little more. Than, uh, the, and I love him in this one. This is actually the second film where he gets stabbed through the hand by somebody. The uh, first one, of course, being Hot Fuzz. So, yeah, is it entertaining? Yeah, I, I love it. This is one that I'm going to keep and I'm going to watch again. Uh, you know, it's, it's one that uh, I'm going to seek out some, uh, a couple of other films that uh, the director, Chris Stenders, has done and uh, check them out because he, he seems to sort of hit hit the spot I like with... Uh, you know, dark humor and, and uh, storytelling. And I, I'm a little disappointed that James McFarlane, this is the only film that he's ever done. So if you want a uh, you know, dark comedy crime caper where, well, let's just be honest, if you're going into this, you kind of know this. Uh, not everybody walks out alive. Uh, check out Kill Me Three Times. Uh, you can find it currently if, uh, well, at the time we were recording this, if uh, Just Watch is correct, on uh, everything from Amazon, Hoopla, Voodoo, Tubi, Crackle, uh, Pluto TV. Uh, like I said, I, I bought it for a dollar. so, And I feel like I got my money's worth. And, uh, and just because I brought it up for the last couple of films, on Letterboxd, it has 6,700 yeah, 6, uh, members have logged in and say that they say that they have seen the film. So it is one of the lesser-known uh, comedies out there and it's got Simon Pegg in it I mean just for that reason alone uh, you should consider checking it out and I really do I, I do kind of wish they would do another movie with his character of uh, Charlie Wolf either a uh, prequel or sequel to uh, this one so that's going to wrap it up for this week uh, next week's film is called Rehearsal for Murder and it's from 1982 I believe uh, it's an early role for Jeff Goldblum. Also stars Lynn Red. Yeah, also stars Lynn Redgrave and Robert Preston. It's uh, the little summary on the back of the DVD says, "To catch a thief meets ten little Indians." Story sounds kind of interesting. Uh, can't, you know, kind of looking forward to watching it. Uh, hope you like what you heard this week. Um, if you like what you heard, tell a friend. If you didn't, tell an enemy. Either way, uh, wherever you downloaded this from, wherever you're, wherever you're listening to it through, be sure to leave a like and uh, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And leave us a review if you can. Reviews help the uh, algorithm out, help uh, new people find us. And I'm, let's be honest, I'm never going to uh, be satisfied with numbers. I'm always going to want more people to listen. If you uh, have an idea for a film you want me to talk about, if you want to correct me on something I said in an episode... Uh, if you just want to reach out and say hi, you can find me on uh, Twitter at C Fever Dreams, Instagram at Celluloid Fever Dreams, or uh, TikTok at uh, C Fever Dreams. And that's going to wrap it up this week. As always, I've been your host, Wyndham Jennings. Hope to see you here again next Thursday. Or not, I mean, you know, I don't know what day you listen to this at, but the next one's going to be next Thursday. And uh, until then, uh, take care of yourself, be kind to others. 
and I'll save you a seat as long as you're bringing the snacks. Good night, everybody.